the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. May his grace and his blessing be with us now and unto the age of all ages, amen. I greet you, dear brothers and sisters, on this wonderful day, the feast of our Lord's entry into Jerusalem, which is known as Palm Sunday or Hosanna Sunday. And I want to congratulate all of you on this feast coming to us in peace and tranquility this year and wish you many blessings for the coming Holy Pascha week as we relive the passion and the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. But before we start the commemoration of the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning, just for a few hours we rejoice because our Lord, King, and God triumphantly entered into the holy city of Jerusalem today. And in response, the crowd of people, all those who were eagerly awaiting the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior who would come to save them from their enemies, they became jubilant. They were excited. The crowd, and especially the young children, proclaimed joyfully, Osanna in the highest, Osanna to the King of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the voices of these children make this feast especially a feast for children. And we welcome with love all of our beloved children who are here, who are praising the Lord with us. Today, however, is not just a feast of, of, of joy, but it also is a feast of many other things. And I want to speak to you in just a few points about some of the other aspects of this feast that we can meditate on, especially as we enter the Holy Week. First of all, today's feast is a feast of praise. It is a feast of praise. As our Savior approached the holy city Jerusalem, he encouraged the great multitude that came to meet him carrying branches of palm and olive trees and proclaiming Hosanna. And this is really strange when you consider that before this point in the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ, on earth, he always rejected praise. He always fled away from the spotlight. In Matthew 16, for example, we read, He strictly forbade them to tell any man that he, Jesus, was the Christ. He did the same in Mark 5 after he raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead. When he fed the multitude in John 6, they wanted to make him a king. So what did he do? He went to the opposite side of the sea and he remained in a hillside by himself. Even when he was transfigured in his glory in front of his three closest disciples, he warned them afterwards not to tell anyone what they had seen until after his resurrection. So this was our Savior's typical disposition. He fled away from the praise of men. But on Palm Sunday, all of that changed to such an extent that the Pharisees proclaimed, look, the whole world has turned aside to follow him. Indeed, when the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews confronted him because of this praise that he was receiving as God, our Lord answered them and he told them that even if all of these crowds of adults and children were silenced, that the stones on the ground would begin shouting and proclaiming the same praises. And this shows what our Lord said to the Pharisees, shows us that 
the hardness of the Jewish leaders' hearts were, was even greater than the hardness of the stones on the ground. Even if the leaders of the Jews shut up all of the adults and the children, the stones on the ground would praise our Savior. So why did our Savior accept all of this praise? What happened? What was the change? Well, the simple answer is that our Lord's time had now come. It was now time to begin the last stage of his journey to the cross where he would willingly accept death for the sake of our salvation. You know, dear brothers and sisters, in every other faith, in every other way of life, man is born to live. And by living, he ascends to God. He ascends to something greater. But only in Christianity do we find God condescending to be born in order to die for the sake of our salvation. He came to die so that he might lift us up because we are not able to lift ourselves up by our own deeds and our own actions. And so our Lord came to die and now in Palm Sunday, the hour of his death is near at hand. And so he accepts this praise and this glorification from his creation. And you know, we too are going to continue the same praise. Our observance of Holy Week is not an observance of sorrow or sadness. Yes, we adorn the church with black, but this black and the sorrow that we feel is not so much at our Lord's sacrifice on the cross as much as it is about our own sins, and the fact that we are the ones who led him to this. But instead, if you look at Holy Week and the rites of Holy Week, instead of being sad continually about our Lord's sacrifice, we praise him, we glorify him. We stop praying the Psalter in the Agbeya, and instead we pray, Thine is the power, the glory, the blessing, the majesty, and the might now and forever. Amen. We praise Him along with those crowds. We continue the work that they start in. And so today on Palm Sunday, we see our Lord accepts praise and glorification from His creation. And that will continue with us until, God willing, Great and Holy Friday. And then we have the glorious feast of our Lord's resurrection. So today is a feast of praise. Today is also a feast of choosing, a feast of choosing. When our Lord entered into Jerusalem, we actually know the specific month and the specific day in which he entered the city of Jerusalem. It was the month of Nisan, and it was the 14th day. And indeed, it was in the same month of Nisan thousands of years earlier, that the first Passover was celebrated. The first Passover was celebrated. I'm sure you all remember the terrible tenth plague that came from Pharaoh, that came upon Pharaoh and the land of Egypt uh, after Pharaoh refused to allow the Hebrews to leave slavery in Egypt. You remember that in this tenth plague, the firstborn of every living thing, man and animal, was killed by the angel of death in one night. 
It was the worst of all of the plagues, the most terrible. The Hebrews, the people of God, were not affected because God commanded them through Moses to choose an unblemished lamb, to sacrifice it and sprinkle its blood on the lintel. Whenever the angel of death saw that blood, he passed over the house and did not kill the firstborn. And this event happened on the 14th day of the Jewish month of Nisan. Now there is an interesting detail in the story of this first Passover that I want to read for you. This is from Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 through 6. Speak to all the children of all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, let them take each man a lamb according to the houses of their families, every man a lamb for his household. It shall be to you a lamb unblemished, a male of a year old. You shall take it of the lambs and the kins, and it shall be kept by you till the fourteenth of this month, and all the multitude of the congregation of the children of Israel shall kill it toward evening. So what is this description all about? In the book of Exodus, we learn that every Jewish family was to choose a paschal lamb in this month, on the 10th of this month, the same day that our Lord entered into Jerusalem. And then four days later, on the 14th of Nisan, that lamb was taken to the place where it was sacrificed. And so we see today that this is a feast of timing. This is a feast of timing because on Palm Sunday, Christ, the Paschal Lamb, was chosen by the praise of the people in Jerusalem. He was chosen by the people who proclaimed Hosanna. And then four days later, on Great and Holy Friday, which was Nisan 14, he was sacrificed because he is, as St. Paul said, our Paschal Lamb. He is the true Paschal Lamb. They acclaimed him today on Hosanna Sunday, and then they condemned him and said, crucify him. And this understanding, again, is really emphasized by St. Paul. In Hebrews chapter 9, which we read today, we read the following, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabern and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Isn't this amazing? that the church nourishes us with this reading from St. Paul, and then we see the timing that's going on in this feast. Do you see how the image and symbol of the Passover lamb from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament is being fulfilled today before our very eyes? Our Lord Jesus Christ is the true high priest of all creation who brings himself as a pure victim for the forgiveness of our sins. In the Old Testament, the function of the high priest was to bring forth a victim for the sacrifice. Animals like innocent lambs were sacrificed as an atonement for sins. But no matter how many lambs died, 
no matter how many victims the high priest brought, he identified with these animals only on a symbolic level, only on a ritualistic level. There was always a separation between the high priest and the lamb that he slaughtered. But our Lord Jesus Christ, the true high priest, however, is different. Because he did not bring another lamb, but he brought himself. He is both the priest and he is the victim. He is the priest and he is the sacrifice. Even though there was no reason for him to be condemned and put to death, he offered himself as a pure and sinless victim for our sins. One of the most beautiful things we read in Scripture is the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ in the hours before his crucifixion. And in this prayer, which is known as the high priestly prayer in the, book, in the gospel according to St. John, he tells his disciples that the enemy is coming near, but there is nothing in Christ that belongs to the enemy. So in other words, there is no sin in Christ. There is no spot. There is no blemish that belongs to the realm of sin and death. And so the enemy, the devil, has nothing that he can claim about Christ. And then Christ addresses his father and says, I sanctify myself for them. I bring myself as a holy offering for my people. And so we see here in this high priestly prayer and in the events today that our Lord Jesus Christ is the pure, sinless victim and he is offering himself as the true high priest for us. This is what today and what the journey of Holy Week is all about. And all of this unfolds on Palm Sunday when he, as the pure lamb, is chosen and acclaimed by the people and kept for four days afterwards until he offered himself as a pure sacrifice for the sins of the world. And by this very action today, our Lord confronts us with an immense love, a divine love, a love that we otherwise would never have understood. His love for us was manifested in a life that he accepted to be ended, a light that accepted to be put out, an immortal God accepting a mortal death for the sake of the fallen world. And this is why today is a feast of timing, a feast of acclaim. It is a feast of fulfillment of these prophecies and these actions from the Old Testament. And finally, brothers and sisters, today is also a feast of victory. A feast of victory. In the first gospel reading from Matthew 21, which I read where Matthew interprets our Lord's entrance to Jerusalem through the eyes of Zechariah the prophet, he quotes Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. The fact that St. Matthew quotes this prophecy in his gospel account, tells us something important. Our Lord's entry into Jerusalem was not an isolated event, 
But it was an event of fulfillment, an event that can only be understood in the context of God's greater plan for our salvation. And to understand exactly what was fulfilled, we have to dig a little bit in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, we read about how King David, the great king of Israel, is fleeing from his own son, Absalom, who rebelled against David in hopes of taking the throne of Israel away from him. And for many years, Absalom poisoned the hearts of the people of Israel against his own father. And when David heard that the hearts of the people are with Absalom instead of him, he fled from the holy city Jerusalem and went up to the Mount of Olives. And as King David fled, he had two important meetings. Two important meetings. In the first meeting, one of his poor subjects gave him two separate donkeys to use in his escape to Jerusalem. And with these donkeys, David fled out of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives by way of the, of the Kidron Valley. And in the second important meeting, another one of David's subjects, a man by the name of Shimei, meets him and he starts to curse him and throw things on King David and his servants. And when King David's men ask him what to do about this man who was cursing them, David essentially tells them to let him continue cursing, and he forgives the man. But this is not the worst of David's problems, because David also has found out at this time that one of his trusted counselors, one of his close circle of advisors, a man by the name of Ahitophel has betrayed him and is joined in Absalom's conspiracy against him. And this whole scene remains, it ends with a remarkable contrast. David, the great king of Israel, is fleeing out of Jerusalem on donkeys, going to the Mount of Olives in humility and disgrace, whereas his son Absalom enters into Jerusalem with mighty chariots, horsemen, and armies. So now if you keep this background in the back of your mind, now you begin to see Palm Sunday as a feast of fulfillment because everything that happened here in 2 Samuel looks forward to and anticipates our Lord Jesus Christ. This is clear from the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ who was the descendant of King David in the flesh. In the Old Testament prophecy, we read that the righteous king of Israel must flee from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives on two donkeys. But in today's feast, the righteous king of kings enters into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. So exactly the reverse order, also on two donkeys. That coincidence is not, I mean, it's not just a coincidence. It's a remarkable fulfillment of prophecy. In fact, our Lord Jesus Christ and King David, they used exactly the same path between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. They traveled through the Kidron Valley. And we know that our Lord Jesus Christ, he crossed the Kidron Valley from the Mount of Olives on his way into Jerusalem. Let us not forget as well that both our Lord Jesus Christ and King David were betrayed 
by their two closest uh, friends. David was betrayed by Ahitophel, his most trusted advisor, and our Lord Jesus Christ, of course, was betrayed by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Our Lord had given him so much responsibility. He gave him the treasury. He trusted him. But then we see that Judas betrays him. And so we see both King David and our Lord Jesus Christ betrayed by their trusted advisors. Let us not forget as well that although both our Lord Jesus Christ and King David were rejected by their own people, they bore their suffering with great meekness and patience. In the story of David, we find one of his own subjects cursing him and throwing things upon him in the moment of King David's humiliation as he's fleeing out of Jerusalem. And David not only accepts all of the curses, but he even forgives the man who is offering these curses. And in the same way, our Lord Jesus Christ was rejected by his people, and he accepted to be cursed and insulted during his passion. And just like David, he responded with forgiveness. We remember the very first words of our Lord on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so we see, brothers and sisters, that today is a feast of fulfillment. So much of today was prophesied. So much of today was written about by the prophets. And today we rejoice in seeing all of these parallels because we see that what happened today and what happens this coming week leading to the crucifixion of our Lord was not accidental. But this was God's divine plan from the very beginning. After we fell, he had a plan to save us. And so today, brothers and sisters, along with the crowds, we proclaim Hosanna. All of us today proclaim Hosanna, and we open our hearts and our souls to our Lord Jesus Christ. If we are struggling with any sin that is plaguing us, we proclaim Hosanna, and we ask our King to enter into our hearts and to grant us the strength to repent and the strength to overcome the sin. If we are struggling in our relationships with one another, then today we proclaim Hosanna, and we ask our Lord who forgave his enemies to grant us the ability, the grace to forgive those who have wronged us. If we, brothers and sisters, are going through tribulations and sufferings and afflictions, then likewise today we proclaim Hosanna, remembering that our Lord went from hearing Hosanna to the cross, and he bore his afflictions and his suffering with great patience, with humility, and in the end he was glorified in his holy resurrection. If we are suffering today, maybe the Lord will remove our suffering, but if he does not, then at the very least we have something greater. He will be with us in our suffering. One of the fathers said, The Lord did not come so that we might not suffer, but he came so that every suffering might have meaning in him. And this is our faith, brothers and sisters. And so today on this great feast, let us all open our hearts and let us proclaim joyfully, Hosanna in the highest Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and glory be to God forever. Amen.